are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And this is the Steve Day Show daily podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here standing by as well. Happy New Year. It's episode one of 2018. We are off. I got an email from a guy yesterday. Just freaking ripped us, man. Ripped us. Basically, he's like, man, the country's falling apart. And you and Levin and Beck and the guys we really need, they're like, you guys are out to lunch, having a holiday, get back to work. Stand a post, man. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, I know I was supposed to take this like an insult, but you know my immediate reaction when I read this was? Dude, Huge. this guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this guy put us in the same company as Levin yeah. and Beck. I'm like, I'm so honored. So that was like the best, if that's how 2018, if that is an omen for the coming year that I was greatly encouraged by the first official rip you email I received in the new year. I'm in. I'm so in on 2018 right now. I'm, I've got, dare I say, a, a little bit of optimism, guys. I mean, I started off getting ripped by putting in very exclusive and far more wealthy company. I'm in on. I'm, I'm. I am so in on 2018 right now. Well, Todd, don't I, you dare ruin it. I won't. I personally want to thank him because I was wandering around, uh, just getting food past my wife on uh, Monday after your football game, and I was watching you text. And I'm like, ooh. Coming back to work might be a little rough. So thank you, sir. You've lifted us up out of the mire because that was rough. That. Were you guys sitting around after what happened to Michigan on New Year's Day thinking, dude, yeah. the boss is not going to be in a good mood? That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, that, it's just the Michigan podcast Twitter feed made. It was was good entertainment, though. So I'll, I'll take the, the that, boss being in a bad mood. That game. I haven't done this in many years. Don't, but now don't. I haven't done this in many years. Be careful. I will. I will. <laughs> I came into the office to help Aaron with some pre-production yesterday to get us ready to relaunch today, right? And one of my best buds works in the office here with us. And he comes in. I haven't seen him since Christmas. And he comes in. His first words is he brought, I looked at him and I said, don't. <laughs> Just like that, I said, I don't, I'm not That's what best buds it. do. I said, but I think he meant, meant it like to be sympathetic. It's like, I'm really sorry. I was, don't. <laughs> don't. I rarely do this. I was so demoralized. Yeah. That when I went out yesterday, I had to go out and do the, uh, Amy had some appointments. So, and it was, it's, it's literally like a witch's tit called and said, it is too damn cold out there. I'm not going out. That's how cold it is in the Midwest right now. So I went out and did this pay period of, of, you know, our normal Costco, Walmart family shopping run that we do every two weeks. I went out and handled it yesterday because it was so cold. And I, I have lived here in Iowa. I mean, I was born here. I've lived here a lot, but I've uh, throughout the course of my life, but I've lived here full time and as an adult since 1995. And there've been a lot of disappointments I've had as a Michigan fan numerous losses to Iowa. I mean, we beat you guys in basketball last night, Aaron. Mm-hmm. That's the first time we've beaten you guys in something that matters in since 2011, yeah. I think, or 2014. Yep. I think it was the last time. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the angry disappointments before. Yes. I I was demoralized yes. though. 
I I've got I've got one winter coat, and it's this really nice like leather varsity jacket Michigan coat. I didn't wear it. I put on like this really crummy, much thinner hoodie that I usually like you know snow blow or you know or lawn work in you know because I I didn't want to have to deal with the looks and the comments at Walmart and Costco. And I freaking, even with three shirts on underneath, I froze in that thing yesterday. <laughs> but I, I thought that was preferable to the, the looks and the comments from wearing the Block M. That's why I was so glad we won that basketball game last night because it meant I could wear my winter coat again here today and be warm again. What does this have to do with anything we're going to talk about? I just nothing. Mich- yeah, Michigan needs to start taking into consideration the health of their fans. Yes, I mean, you're the victim here, Steve. No, there's you no could question. Sue them. Finally, someone else you recognizes should, this. Should sue them. Leaders and best my ass. All right, I really hope Michigan gets better. <laughs> I really do. And we're off. We'd love to know what you think about what we think about the stuff we're going to talk about, not this stuff, but the stuff that's coming up here in just a few minutes. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E is how you can spell the last name. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. So today begins a new year. And our focus this year, you know, I'm a big believer in reinvention. Um, you know, two of my all-time favorite musical acts, the Beatles and U2. Now, the Beatles lasted for like seven years, but they reinvented themselves like five times in seven years. There's mod Beatles, there's uh, grunge Beatles, there's psych- psychedelic Beatles, there's hippie Beatles, rubber soul Beatles, which is somewhere in between all of this. It's really weird. All right. Uh, U2's reinvented itself how many times since we were kids, Todd? How many times? And almost always well. Amazingly. Yes. Not always, but almost always well. Yeah. I think, I think, rein, and I need, the reason I keep, I believe in reinvention beyond branding and marketing, that's kind of part of it. Really, it's for my own psyche because my mind works at so many paces a minute that I get bored with my own set material even before the audience does. And I find that if I'm bored, guess what that does to the overall presentation we're trying to do here? It suffers, right? And so I, I, I like to reinvent every now and then how we are approaching things. This year, our theme this year is going to be worldview. Now, worldview has always been an emphasis of our show. We've always been far more willing to get into the depths of the philosophy and theology that is the basis for the issues and, and, and debates that we have in our culture each and every day. We have a longstanding tradition on our show called Worldview Wednesday, which is basically a, a college philosophy class that, that's on a podcast. But it's going to be our daily, not just an emphasis, but our priority. Well, Steve, what about the election? I think it's even more important to do it now with the election going on because a lot of people are going to be doing the nuts and bolts stuff that is so important when you have an election year and i love that stuff too and and frankly data analysis is one of the strengths of my that's been one of the strengths of my career but i don't trust any of our models i think 2016 if it didn't break our models it at least should cause us to question how we see them going forward. I mean, at least it's an open question of what they mean going forward. Was that a one-off, or is some is something is the paradigm changing? And the models are always 
always ex post facto from the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift always comes first, and then the models have to catch up to it. I mean, the last time we had a paradigm shift in electoral politics in America was the way the Obama machine took on the advent and owned the advent of social media and built the sort of grassroots army that we've seen Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz and Donald Trump now. They've, they've all done this, emulated this too, but no one had done it before Obama did. And that's where his, his get out the vote on election day overperformed his polling data. Because we, our models had not caught up yet on how to calculate for that level of direct grassroots activism. When someone gets a phone call, and before we knew what a robocall was, right, and your phone rings and it's Michelle Obama's voice, well, now we know it's a robocall. In 2007 and eight, you thought Michelle Obama was calling you on the phone. You didn't know what that was. That created a level of intimacy, a grassroots energy we had not yet seen because no one had figured out yet how to marshal marshal, and then politically monetize social media. What we have in Donald Trump now is he is trying to weaponize social media. And we don't really know what the fallout of this is yet. We don't. I I think going into this year, and I said this on C-SPAN on New Year's Day, The most fascinating thing for me, for a kid who majored in political science in college when I actually went to class, and who got into this originally to have the philosophical debate we're going to have starting today, but because of my background in data and political science, I made a slight detour into into data analytics and analysis because I'm fascinated by it, and I just have a knack for being good at it. All of the metrics of what typically decides how people vote are all in the Republicans' favor. Every last one of them. Optimism in the country is up. Consumer confidence is up. Taxes are going to go down. We have low unemployment and a growing economy that's already growing at a faster rate than it ever did under Obama in consecutive quarters. And when you have a growing economy and low unemployment... Well, that means you've got businesses that need to hire more people. And if they need to hire more people and there's not a huge available pool of, of talent to hire, that means they got to go hire other people's talent. Which means when you try to hire other people's talent, what happens to the wages in those situations? They go up because we've got competition. And with the Democrats saying all of this is, a, is fake news and not true, they're, they're letting the Republicans take credit for all of the good economic news. They're letting them have it all. Because the Democrats are looking at Trump's approval numbers and are saying, by every metric we've ever determined who wins these midterm elections, all we've got to do is just not be Donald Trump on Election Day and we're going to crush the Republicans. By the traditional metrics, both sides' arguments are true. The Republicans should be looking at the economics. I saw Newt Gingrich say this the other day, and, and, and this wasn't even typical, you know, a once great man who's been reduced to Trump's shill. And I don't mean like a good Trump shill, like a nauseatingly pathetic one. But when he said the other day, if Republicans just tell the truth about what's going on in the economy, they should win. By every metric that we've traditionally known elections, he is correct. And when Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer go on on, on their favorable media and say Trump's approval rating is subterranean, the Republicans are toast. By every metric, they're correct. Well, Steve, how can both those things be true? Well, because the way it used to work is the president was disliked because the economic data was bad. (laughs) 
it's rare to have the economic data be bad and the president liked. Obama kind of pulled it off. He was liked and won election, re-election despite not great economic news, but his party got annihilated in both the midterm elections of his presidency at the same time. What we've never really seen before is soaring economic news and so much personal disdain for the president. Because your natural feeling is, hey, this guy's making my life better. I like you. It's a little bit like, you know, in sports. I remember Bill Lambeer when I was growing up. Remember Bill Lambeer? I do. Did you like Bill Lambeer? Did I like him? Uh, no is the answer. No. Uh, no, no, but I had a certain degree of respect. You would have liked him in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. Oh, yeah, that's in a what I'm saying. Yeah, in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey, because Todd grew up in Wisconsin. In a Milwaukee Bucks jersey, you're thinking, he's tenacious, he's tough, he's a warrior. In a Detroit Pistons jersey, he's a thug, he's a criminal, and he's and he ought to be thrown out of every game. It, when the guys wearing your jersey right. and winning championships, right. you have you tend to like some... Hey, when Jim Harbaugh was going was doing every reality show and all the... And, and Michigan was getting off to a great start, we thought it was adorable. I listened to three hours of Ann Arbor Sports Talk Radio the day after that meltdown against South Carolina. And I, oh, and another thing, tell them to stop doing damn podcasts and reality shows while we try coaching the team. Right? That's how it works. When the team is bad, your antics are, are that's what we call them, antics. When the team is good, well, you got some personality quirks, but oh, yeah, I can deal with it. That's how it works. Right? That's how it works in politics, too. I don't really care if I like the guy or not. I mean, I got a job. It's paying me more than it paid me last year. I'm better off than I was. Well, we've got metrics right now that are showing this is two totally different paradigms. They're like magnets battling each other for polarity dominance. And they just keep clashing and connecting. And and it's hard to pull them away. Eventually, when you do that, when you've got battling magnets, eventually one of them will dominate the other one. But... I'm going to warn you now. What's today? January 3rd, right? When's the election first? When is the first Tuesday in November? Do we know the exact date? That's how much we've, that's how much we're totally tuned out of daily electoral politics on our show now. I don't remember when the, when the actual election day is. I just know it's the first Tuesday in November, but I don't know when the day is. Look it up on your calendar.com and it's the first mm-hmm. Tuesday in November. All right, that's when it is. Between now and that first Tuesday in November, we're going to get 7,008 silver pieces and 10,000, you know, flashing lights about polls on Drudge. Don't believe any of it because we don't know what any of it means. We don't. No one, anybody who tells you they know what any of this means, they're lying to you. I'm prom- And I'm saying this as someone that's made a nice living telling you what this stuff means. We don't know what it means. You're going to tell us the first Tuesday in November because right now you're telling us two totally different things that simultaneously cannot be true. That you think the president of the United States is a total douche canoe, that you can't stomach the sight of him, and he grates on you when he threatens nuclear war over Twitter again like he did last night. On the other hand, you're telling us, I really love the direction the country's headed, and I'm really optimistic, and I like how things are being managed right now. That's not how this typically works. One of these impulses is going to get voted on in November. Anybody who tells you right now they know which one it is, they don't. They can't possibly know because we've never seen a dynamic like this. It's like it's like having a hurricane and a tornado threatening your community and you sit around debating one another. Which one do you think is going to be worse? 
I don't know if you, you ever watched a community where a tornado and a hurricane happened. No, no. So we won't know until we actually see it. We're going to have to actually see it. And that's why this year, guys, our theme is going to be worldview. Because I think we're going to do, a, if, if we made, if we handled this election like we would have handled most election years in the past on our show, we would say so many things that within, within a month we would just contradict our, what we just said a month ago. Yep. And we would fast forward to November and be like, I can't believe we were this dumb in February, that smart in March. Why didn't we see that coming in April? Maybe we looked really dumb in May. June, we nailed it, but then July, we were dumb again. Nobody knows. So we're going to let everybody else talk about what they can't possibly know to be true. Because we don't know, and you, the people, are going to tell us that first Tuesday in November. Our focus is going to be on the worldviews that are going to drive the news cycles and the debates we're going to see between now and Election Day, Todd. This is fascinating because it's what we're on year four of working for you, but you very much reprogrammed me during the Trump cycle. I always trusted data, sought out good data, but when we were talking about the Trump phenomenon all the way through, you you really got me to air. Harder and harder for all good good reason because I was just exposed to you and you're trusted and you're successed in it every single day. So to to see this with my own eyes, to see this about face, has been fascinating because you believe in this now mm-hmm. for all the same objective exactly. reasons as you believed that then. And here's why I'm taking I'm I'm not changing my approach. Right. See, the re- what made me really good at data, it's, it's what Jack Nicholson says when Helen Hunt asks him, and as good as it gets, why are you so good at drawing women or, or, and, 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 create, and, and, and drawing women as characters? And, and he says, well, I think of a man, and then I remove all logic, rationality. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great line from that movie. All right. People ask me, Steve, why? Well, they used to ask me. They don't ask me that anymore. <laughs> well, they used to ask me, why do you have this uncanny knack for predicting the outcome of elections? Because I, I, I start off removing all my biases it's as best passionate. I can, emptying, emptying myself out of all my passions. What my des- I go in, get rid of the desire of what I want the outcome to be, removing as much emotion as possible. How many times on the show have you said, uh, this is not what I want to happen, but yes. what I think will happen? Yes. It's because of what you're saying. Yes. I, that I, I, the best data analytic people handle their job like a meteorologist does. A meteorologist does not approach the, the satellite map when they get into work at the local TV station. They don't look at the satellite map and say, you know, I really, I really kind of feel like today ought to be 68 degrees in the middle of February. So that's the forecast you're going to get. Can't do that. You have to, you're, you're basically reporting what the conditions beyond your control are telling you is ripe for what will then be the, the impact when you wake up tomorrow and what the weather will feel like. You know what? Yeah. Most people in sports and politics where it gets really emotional can't do that. They have to have a rooting interest in their own analysis. I'm, I figured out a way to divorce myself from that. And that took, was a huge step in making me uncannily good at this until last year. I did the same exact thing last year. Everybody says the poll's wrong. The polls weren't wrong last year. Or, well, it's two years ago now. The polls were actually more accurate in 2016 than they were in 2012. 
and they were pretty good in 2012. I mean, the, the real clear politics final polling average had Hillary Clinton went in by 2.5 points. She won by 2.8. I think that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Polls are really good. What happened is we analyzed 2016 the way we did the last two cycles. Meaning, remember what I said a few minutes ago, the paradigm shift always happens first and then the models react to it. And so what we saw in the 2012 election is we saw polling very close margin of error nationwide, like we saw with Trump and Hillary Clinton down the stretch, okay? Um, because even if, even with the RCP average at her at 2.5, that's still most, even the best polling has a margin of error of three. So we're within the, we're in the, we're the, we're within the MOE. And just like we saw in 2012, the state polling was even closer than the national polling was. State polls were all over the place in these states, just like they were in 2012. Well, here's what happened. Guys like me on the right and guys like Nate Silver on the left, we went back to 2012 when we saw similar polling numbers. And we, and we looked at the organizational advantage that Hillary had over Trump. I mean, Trump was advertising for canvassers on the ground in Florida on Craigslist the week before the election. Remember all the early voting numbers we were seeing out of Nevada, North Carolina, and Florida for Hillary? She was actually, in a, in a couple of these states, she was outpacing what Obama had done in early voting. So we're looking at Hillary's banking her votes. Trump is still trying to figure out how to get his votes, okay? And when you see polling within the margin for error, it's like the old thing in football. With, they used to say this about, you know, Jerry Rice. If he's even, he's leaving. If, if you're even with him, he's open, Okay. He's just gonna, he's, they're just going to throw it up. He's going to get there be, the ball before you do. Or Randy Moss, they say that about him too. Well, we thought the same thing. Well, Obama had the organizational advantage over Mitt Romney. And Romney was a much better organized candidate than Trump was. And actually had the full brunt of the Republican Party behind him. Trump did not. And so if Romney, with, with a unified party, couldn't make up that advantage, why would we think that, that Trump will be able to do it? And so the, the poll numbers were right. Those of us who do the forecasting of what the poll numbers will then result in, we're the ones that were wrong. And so what that means is the paradigm has changed again. What we don't know is if it's just changed because Donald Trump ran against Hillary Clinton, who is almost as loath and, and deeply despised as much as Trump was. Or did it change, did it signify something permanent, like white working class voters which had traditionally been a solid block for Democrats, now becoming Republicans. We don't know the answer to that yet. And we're not going to know. And anybody that tells you that they're going to know won't know until we wake up Wednesday morning, the first Wednesday in November, and find out what you, the people, had to say. We aren't going to know. And so I'm approaching this with the same emotionless, passionless, empty as much as I can of my preconceived notions and biases that I approached it before when I was very confident in my data. Because I, if, I was, if I was looking at this with ego, I'd be all up in this thing, man. Projections here, doing that. But because I know, I know the model that I used to, that I, I worked with the last five years that was so accurate, was was wrong in 2016. I don't know for sure why it was wrong until we see what happened in 2018. I have some guesses why it was wrong. Hillary's unlikability. The Democrats are the furthest left political party we've ever had, and that means the Republicans have a little bit more rope with their base than I thought, meaning Republicans are less inclined to stay home. 
at a protest because they're scared to death of where the Democratic Party will go instead. But I could be wrong about that, Todd, and, and we're not going to know till November. We're not going to know. Why, so why sit around here for the next nine and a half? Why, why, guys, I was going to make a joke. Why sit around here for the next 11 months talking about what we don't know anything about? Well, we do that every day anyway, right? But no, seriously, why sit around here gnashing our teeth, crunching numbers, looking at data models that we don't know are archaic and essentially irrelevant? We don't know that yet. Well, furthermore, even if we did have the confidence that you used to have uh, about them, it still wouldn't be worth doing, and you're Bingo. about to get into exactly why. We've done that for far, not, not we uh, on this show, uh, your show more than any that I can think of nationally has gone away from obsessing about that ad nauseum. I mean, when it got to crunch time uh, before an election, sure. I mean, that, that, then it, then it's go time. Uh, but we've made an idol about of the horse race nonsense to the point that now now the horse race is, you know, it, it's just absurdity. It's a sporting contest. Every single day it's a, it's a sporting contest yeah. and there's team republican and team democrat and i'm rooting for one of those teams like i root for georgia or alabama and uh, and or a team in the yeah, nfl it's playoffs. the worst game of shirts versus skins you've ever seen in your life <laughs> yeah i mean at this point it's kind of like a bronco or a, not a broncos a, or a broncos fan a browns fan uh, waking up this last monday morning after after their team went 0 and 16 and talking about what they're going to do in the playoffs this year and and you know if they have any chance in the playoffs it, it doesn't matter because you're 0 and 16 it the point I'm making is that it, it doesn't politics uh, and trying to analyze things. Uh, it's it doesn't matter a whole lot because the system is so broken. It's only profitable in as much as it helps us to think through our worldview a little bit more and a little bit more in depth every day, mm-hmm. and thereby. Uh, hopefully, um, spurring us to knowledge of God more uh, of our God more. And um, and glorifying him in that process, but that's Amen. that's kind of the that's kind of the tact that I'm. If I for this for these reasons, I almost if I didn't have to use it for work, if I was just a regular dude following politics, I think I would have just shut down my Twitter account yesterday after seeing that it's 2012 again, and we're talking about Mitt Romney and Michelle Bachman with a fevered pitch. And like, no, I where's a bridge I can jump off of? It's just insane. We need to move on to something better. And thank God your plan is to do exactly if, that. If, if you'd have told me four or five years ago that Mitt Romney would return again to etch-a-sketch himself to the U.S. Senate by going on his Twitter account the day that Orrin Hatch announces his retirement. Did you see this? Yes. He went on his Twitter account after Orrin Hatch's retirement and changed his location. Good old carpetbagging Romney. From Massachusetts to Utah. Uh, This is true. Yes. I just looked it up. Now, if you'd have told me that this four years ago that would happen, and, and I would write a column about it the next day for Conservative Review, and my column would be, I don't care. As opposed to wailing and gnashing of, of teeth, I'd have said, you're nuts. But that is the column I wrote about that today. I, in fact, not only do I not care, I'm in full, full Phil Collins mode. I don't care any mo I don't care no more. Get out of my way. Let me buy. I got better things to do with my time. All right? That's where I'm at right now. All right? Because politics can't and won't save us. 
So I want us this year to talk about that which can. And I think that is the right worldview. But before we talk about what is the right worldview, we got to break down the wrong ones that are vying for our attention and our affection. So today for CRTV, we started a new series. We're going to have follow-up conversations about it here on our Westwood One podcast every day as well. And it's called The Seven Deadly Worldviews. When I originally got into this business, it really wasn't to do activism on the radio, nor was it to develop a side career doing data analysis and communications consulting. It just detoured there because of what happened in my home state with marriage and right to work and everything else and the role my show played in it at the time. I originally got into this because I want, why I left sports talk radio and moved to news is my biggest passion is I wanted to confront the spirit of the age, the heresy of the era, which in my mind is progressivism. This year, we're going to, this is, we are Luke Skywalker in the Death Star Trench. And you guys, we will not be able to completely avoid the election, I'm sure. But you guys, this is going to be our dog whistle here on the podcast this year, okay? When, when, I, when, I, when I get too much into the weeds in my old data analytic, you know, mindset, one of you needs to say into the microphone, stay on target. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I'm, we got it. I'm in the Death Star Trench. I got these gun turrets going on over here. I got TIE fighters back over there. This up here. Explosions over No, I, I got to hit the thermal exhaust port here at the end of this ridge. All right? So we gotta, we're going to do our best to stay on target. Like Luke in the Death Star Trench. The A target. good Star Wars movie you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Sorry. Teed it up. It was beautiful. Back, now back to the Outback Bowl. Dace, your thoughts on Michigan and South Carolina. It just goes to show that was a total lie. You were concerned about the mood the boss was going to be in. We're already, we're already throwing down on the, already throwing the Star Wars gauntlet out there. All right. Because you're still wrong about The Last Jedi, but we'll move on. All right. Um, the, the thermal exhaust port this year is progressivism. But we may not use the word a lot. Because if progressivism was like when you go when you go buy a, a, a nice table, whether it's an end table or a kitchen table or a desk, you know, what do you always look at? You get the tabletop, right? That's the most noticeable part. Is it chipped? How is it finished? What color is it? The tabletop says progressivism. But who, who goes shopping and says, honey, we really need a tabletop. I'm going to the store to buy one. Tabletop wouldn't do you much good to bring it in your house, just throw it on the floor, right? You have a floor already. Yes. Yes. That's right. Would you buy a second floor? This one's just like a few inches higher. It's still on the floor. What makes it a table are the legs that prop it up. We're going after the legs. That's why I said the thermal exhaust port. Okay? Luke Skywalker didn't fire, didn't just randomly fire his torpedoes at the Death Star. He went after the, the mechanism that propped it up. That's what he targeted. The legs that prop up progressivism, there are seven of them. And they are what we are calling seven deadly worldviews. 
These seven deadly worldviews are going to be the focal point of our show this year. We're going to we're going to point these out and expose them at every turn that we possibly can. Because we're going to do it this way. Because when you talk to a lot of people that are progressives and you tell them, I think progressivism is terrible. Well, what's wrong about wanting what's best for human beings? I mean, because most people, if they really knew what was the genesis, origin, and intention of progressivism, wouldn't sign up for that as a full-fledged, in-your-face package. It needs to be repackaged in a nice, pretty picture. And that pretty picture is, don't you want what's best for people? Tolerance. Tolerance. Don't you want to be on the right side of history? Well, how do we define what the right side of history is? How's the sausage being made here? That's going to be our focus this year. We are gonna, we're going to squat here. I mean, we're going to have a freaking, you know, smoke lodge moment in the sausage making factory. We're going to see what are these things, what does it really mean? When we get done posting four legs good, two legs bad there in the barn, and now we've all rallied around the nice populist lingo, and all the egalitarian newspeak. And then it comes time to now impose this new ideal. What's that look like? What's it look like? When, if you get the Animal Farm references I'm dropping here, when Napoleon is done giving you the fiery speeches. And then he says, well, I've got this five-year plan for how we're going to make this work. What's that look like? What's the old saying? The devil is in the details. Oh, my friends, what you are going to find throughout the course of this year, beginning with these first seven episodes, is the devil is most literally in the details. And that's what we're going to be focused on this year. We started this today on CRTV. So if you're not yet a subscriber, here's a great opportunity to do so. Use my name as a promo code, DACE, D-E-A-C-E. And the way this is going to work to start off this year is the first seven episodes of our show on CRTV, we're going to explain what these seven deadly worldviews are, and then we'll have a follow-up conversation here on the podcast on Westwood One looking at contemporary examples of these worldviews. Right? So that way you get a full-fledged picture both on what we're doing on CRTV and what we're doing here for Westwood One. And, and, and we thought this seven-part series was, the, was, the, was a good way to usher in what the focus of our show this year is going to be. What do you think, Aaron? I think this is exactly what we need. This is the show, uh, this is the show that, we, uh, that we need to do. And this is, the, the, this is where our focus needs to be because... Um, as I as I alluded to earlier, um, politics anymore. Politics following uh, the the you know the the day to day grind of politics is only fruitful anymore. In as much as it uh, helps us to think through our worldview and then apply it to what we're seeing in the news, and then uh, the, the the world nowadays is so much not just fake news. It's just nothing. Like the story today, uh, for instance, about uh, Trump saying stuff about Steve Bannon. Um, who, who cares? What what difference does that make uh, at the end of the day? It's absolutely nothing, but yet it's dominating mm-hmm. the news cycle right now. 
when we could be talking about what we talked about on today's show, which is Gnosticism, identifying Gnosticism, defining Gnosticism, uh, where it comes from. And I said at the end of the show, it's far more common than you uh, than you might think. And I think it's far more common than people maybe give it credit for because we associate that word with kind of an ancient her- heresy. And it's not. It's alive and well. Each one of these worldviews that we're going to be discussing is it, it has a common thread, I, I believe. And I said as much on the show. And, um, and we'll see this, I think, in the coming days. It preys on the most basic thread of human nature of fallen human nature which is ye be like god and that's what gnosticism does because it just maybe ever so slightly in some ways and maybe more so in other ways it elevates humans and diminishes the authority of anything other than your own knowledge and your own self the ego that's what gnosticism is and i think we had a fascinating conversation on that today One of the things we talked about on CRTV today is Gnosticism or the idea that there is some secret knowledge that only an elite few can acquire and then dispose to the rest of us about that 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 satisfies the deepest philosophical and intellectual longings and desires we have like purpose and where do we come from and why are we here. And one of the things we talked about today when we got into this on CRTV is Gnosticism likes to conflate information with knowledge so it can then conflate knowledge with wisdom. What you just said about the whole urination contest and Mean Girls Act with Trump, Bannon, and, and it'll be two more personalities tomorrow and two other personalities the next day and the day after that. You're right. It's dominating news cycles. It's information. But is there any knowledge in there? Nope. Meaning, is anything in there fruitful for, the, for those of you that consider yourselves progressives? Tell me what this empty information does to advance the human condition. Can you name one thing it does, Todd? How's your life any different based on what Steve Bannon really thinks about Donald Trump or vice versa? Does it change a damn thing? It depends on what, how important the trolling scoreboard than, is to you. Yeah. Other than that, Steve, nothing. Does it change does it, the, the stress level of getting your girls back up for school and full-time right. and back to work and you and your wife getting, ever, getting to work? Your, any of that change at all based on any of this? No. What Trump thinks the marginal tax rates ought to be, does that change stuff? Bet your sweet bippy it does. Hope so. Are we going to get more conversation on that, though? Or on Trump Bannon? Or pick other personalities? Based on the 2018 I've seen so far? hmm. I think we know the answer to that. I think we know the answer to that. So we are an information-driven society. We are not a knowledge-driven society. We have conflated information with knowledge. We, We know a lot of stuff. And a lot of that stuff is another word that starts with us. And it has no purpose. That's why your body uh, pushes it out when it first chance it gets. Uh, this is waste material. We don't need this. It's toxic. Get it out of the body. It's got to go. Ship it out. That's most of what we consume is knowledge. It's just meaningless information that may or may not be true. And even if it is true, by and large, it has no impact on your life. Meanwhile, on October 1st, 2017, a guy created... A, a militarized zone on the Las Vegas Strip in his hotel room. A portly, elderly man somehow, on his own, we are led to believe, 
carried pounds upon pounds upon pounds of ammunition and munitions up to his hotel room. Opened fire in a country music contest and became the worst mass murder in American history. We know nothing about his motivations. Nothing. Now that is not that is information that could become useful knowledge that would give us as a society some wisdom. Did he did did he did he did he you know did he exploit some loophole in our in our background checks that we should maybe tighten up? What was his motivation? Was he another was he was he radicalized by by a terrorist cell? Do we know any of that? We don't know any of it. Nothing. Nothing. But you know what Trump and Bannon are saying about each other right now? This is the Gnostic spirit of the age. Let me give you a few other examples. Christmas time. There is literally not a credible historian on planet Earth that doesn't believe Jesus Christ never lived. There's plenty of them that doesn't believe he ever rose from the dead and was the savior of the universe. But like literally no one does. Like literally nobody does. Nobody credible makes this claim. Except for some dude from New Zealand who got to write a, who got a byline in the Washington Post over right around Christmas time. Jesus never lived. Think they would publish that article about Muhammad Todd? Um, no. <laughs> no. All right? No. No, they would say not. Fatwa? Yeah. Now there's a lot of evidence that Muhammad lived, but there's actually better evidence that he never lived. He couldn't read or write. He was illiterate. He largely came from an illiterate society. Most of what we know from him came down past from myth and legend hundreds of years after his death, including the Quran itself. He left no successor, so right away, you know, Jesus, Jesus' disciples, his successors, were unified around their shared persecution. Muhammad's immediate successors and disciples went to war with one another because they had no idea how to, who was, what was the right way to carry on his teachings after he died, which further muddied up who the guy was, when he lived, what he said. This is where Sunnis and Shias come from. Well, Steve, Sunnis and Shias are like Catholics and Protestants. <laughs> well, except for Catholics and Protestants came 1,500 years after. We had a church for 1,500 years after Jesus before we had Catholics and Protestants, Okay. Right away, we had debates between Sunnis and Shias. Other than that, though, you're right. It's totally the same, guys. It's totally the same. Other than the fact there's no similarities at all, it's totally the same. Now, I, for the record, I, I'm pretty, I'm 100% confident Muhammad lived, okay? But my point is, there is there's a far better argument he never existed than there is Jesus Christ. For, guys, we changed how we tell time. Human, human civilization planet wide changed the way it kept time a human society has no more basic functional mechanism by which to govern itself than time the keeping of time it changed we changed as a species how to keep time based on the existence of jesus christ i can't give you more fundamental evidence than that if you need better evidence than that, invent a time machine. I can't give it to you better than that. And yet the Washington Post runs a byline, Jesus never existed, which they would never do for a Muhammad. And of course, they do it right around Christmas time. Because this is Gnostic trolling. That's all that it is. Just Gnostic trolling. And, you know, when we go through this, particularly with Gnosticism, 
think about how many of the my trip towards orthodoxy more than other any other aha moment is tell ah i didn't know the and sometimes i didn't uh, clarify that this was the word i was saying but oh i'm a gnostic I, I like my way more than god's way i've been kind of making this thing up as i go along there was a fantastic example lately that was put out there uh, by a lot of conservatives about uh, bono talking about his faith and recently he's had some sort of health scare i didn't know about mm. but it was a great interview with a reporter and bono just willingly took this down the road of his faith and talking about saint paul and really have to humble to himself and and give himself to, you know i gave my faith to jesus and was open talking about jesus when things are good but things got dark and i was having doubts i realized how much more i had to give to him so he's rolling here he's riffing really good stuff and he's talking about saint paul and then he does this it's really quick but he goes yeah and St. Paul's fantastic. You really got to, except for all the gay stuff. And then he goes on and it's great again. He's like, whoa. So he, that's what we do. Even in that, he, he's talking about how, how he had to exhaust himself and get rid of himself. But then there's still that not, it's so easy to fall mm-hmm. into it there. And so uh, as we go on this road, include So in yourself, the middle of his own testimony, yes. Bono stops and says, but yes. did God really say? Yes. Yeah. And there's great stuff and in there. And by the way, we all. And that's what we all do. We all do this. That's my point. Did you send today? Yes. Then at some point you did what Bono just did right yes. there. Did God really say? I I I I did it today too. Did you send it, Aaron? Oh yeah. Then 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 you at that moment chose to ask yourself the question: Did God really say? This is why when Nostas, when Aaron says it's always, I mean, it is the first heresy because it's so easy. It makes us feel so good about it ourselves. It plays to our flesh, and it's had a yep, hundred yep. different names. Yes, so we are legion, but. It's just the same old beat of the drum. One more example from our pop culture I want to give you of, of the first deadly worldview we're talking about here today on Westwood One, Gnosticism. You guys know who Eric Von Donegan and Hal Lindsey were? Those names sound familiar? Yes, mm. particularly Hal Lindsey. I'm Lindsay? not as familiar with Von Donegan. Aaron, you might be too young. Same thing Same thing. Todd said, uh, more with Hal Lindsey. Well, yeah, you, yeah, Christian homeschool kid knows is Hal Lindsey. Okay, so Hal Lindsey and Eric Von Donegan, I believe might have written the two best-selling nonfiction books of the 1970s. If they're not the two best, they are among the best, no doubt about that. Hal Lindsey wrote a book called Late Great Planet Earth. All right? And in that book, uh, he estimated by following, by calculating based on his view of the end times or what Christians call eschatology. And he goes back to Jesus' Olivet Discourse in Matthew and says, when you see these things, that a generation will pass. All right, so the Jews return to Israel, what is it, May 15th, 1948, right? And so in his mind, uh, a generation in the Bible is 40 years. So he did the math. Jesus is coming back in 1988. Well, 1988 came and went. I mean, this book sold millions of copies, made Hal Lindsey beyond rich. Movies were made, Thief in the Night, which was actually shot here in Des Moines and showed all over the country. That was the the original Left Behind. Remember that book and those movies, that craze? This was like the original Left Behind craze from the 70s based on Hal Lindsey's book. Well, 1988 came and went. Jesus didn't come back. So Hal Lindsey wrote another update. And in the update, he said, well, technically, the Jews didn't fully come in to their own in Zion until 
Jerusalem became their capital. And they didn't acquire Jerusalem until they won the Six-Day War of Yom Kippur, right? Which was 1967. So then Jesus will come back in 2007. Now we're told, well, the Jews didn't officially recognize Jerusalem as their capital until 1980. So now we're waiting, uh, that would be 2020. So some of you that just can't put up with another term of Donald Trump, Hal Lindsey has good news for you. You won't have to. <laughs> we just keep, we're like, we're like the carbon datist and, and Darwinians, Dar, Darwinists. Like when you and I were first going to school, we, we heard hundreds of thousands of years, several million years. Are they up to like 900 million years now? They just keep moving the calendar back, man. Even though carbon dating is actually not good past like 14,000 years, they just keep moving, the, they keep moving it back because the timetable has to fit our narrative. That's a, that's a version of Gnosticism. And, and Lindsay still, even though he's been discredited several times, I think he's on his fourth marriage, by the way. What is, doesn't the Bible say something about prophets who, who predict things that don't come true and whether we should continue to believe them the next time they predict things? I, I think there's something in there about that, guys. Something. Maybe. I don't know. This guy's still making bank. I had a, I had a lunch several years ago with an, old, old, with an older saint. And he wanted to ask me about eschatology. I'm like, are you sure you want to have this conversation? He said, okay. So we got, he brought up how, he was, I've, I've read two books converted me. How, the Bible and how Lindsay's late great planet Earth. I'm like, which version? The 1988 version, the 2007 version, the 2020 version? Which one? Dude, was, dude lost it at this deli. I mean, pounded the table, got, pointed his finger at my face. It was like I just insulted him. That just goes to show you that's an idol. Someone reacts like that to their idol. I know I'm an idolater because we all are. I know what, what overreacting to an idol looks like. I do it all the... I just did it on New Year's Day. <laughs> and you all read about it on Twitter. <laughs> I'm all aware of it. I just did this a couple days ago. Okay. I chose what coat to wear and not to wear a coat in freezing cold conditions because I wasn't proud of my idol. All right? So I get it. This is, this, is, this is now where believers are engaging in their own form of Gnosticism. I need to believe in this great fantasy that my generation will see it happen. And how dare you tell me any different? Eric von Donegan wrote the other great Gnostic heresy of the 1970s. His book was called Chariots of the Gods. Now, I think the book was originally written in the 60s, but it blew up in popularity in the 70s because he did a movie based on it. And in the movie, he took the stuff he wrote in his crazy book and people got to see the crop circles and everything else. I was shown this in school. They showed me this movie in school when I was a kid. In Orlando, Florida, in the third grade, we watched this movie. And the theory is, it's... Ridley Scott's Prometheus. It's Gene. The, it's the theory behind Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek. I mean, every 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 mythos needs a creation or needs an origin, right? And so, remember in Ben Stein's Expelled, where he's questioning, is it Richard Dawkins? Yeah. And where did and he keeps asking him why, 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 why are we here? And finally, Richard Dawkins said, well, maybe aliens came and they uh, seeded their DNA. That's how it got here. So it's right on camera. We all laughed. That's not a uh, new idea. Dawkins didn't just come up with that because he was flummoxed. 
That's a popular theory. Eric Von Donegan is the high priest of this theory. And that the Mayans, Elijah's chariot was a UFO that came and took him away. I mean, I mean, I'm not making any of this up. All right. And people ate this stuff up. It, it became one of the bases for Gene Roddenberry's founding th- theory of worst of Star Trek. How did he explain that all the aliens were of humanoid form? Well, because the same strand of, of, of the, the, the proto-alien, the proto-DNA that seeded all of these class M planets in the, in, the, in the various four quadrants of the galaxy came from the same humanoid strand. And then just evolved differently based on you know, where you are. That's all. Where you are in the cosmos. That's why Vulcans have two ears. They're just pointy, unlike ours that are round. That's all right of Eric Von Donegan's Chariots of the Gods, guys. Now, does this sound... Well, Steve, that's, that sounds like that ancient alien show on... Yeah, guys. We're, the, the devil is trolling us so hard right now. Normally, he like skips a century or two before recycling his material. He knows we are so in the grip of our own self-righteousness right this, right this moment. He is re-releasing material to the same generation. He's just repackaged it. It's like he took poisons, a poison hair metal band album from the 80s, and he's selling it again, and he's calling it Motley Crue. It's the same uh, song. It's the same album. Just put a different name on it. So it was Chariots of the Gods in the 70s. It's Ancient Aliens now. The guy with the crazy hair, you see him on History Channel, that's... All he is is a ripoff of Eric Von Donegan. He's the he is the progenitor of this. He's the he's the he's the uh, you know he's the high priest of this stuff. And instead of believing, I was created in the image of a loving God who has a purpose and a plan for my life. And I can't find true happiness and contentment until I fulfill that purpose. And that's why everything else I try to do other than fulfilling that purpose fills me for a time and then ends up either making me empty or destroying me. Instead of just simply believing two plus two equals four, I need to believe, is it eight? Is it two plus two equals nine? So you're right. Don't be so judgy with your math. You're right. You're right. Listen, I don't don't want to believe some Southern Baptist minister with a twang or some Catholic priest with a collar because I really want to believe that guy wearing a starter jacket, a members only jacket, I should say, and um, the hair gel from There's Something About Mary on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel tonight instead. I'm gonna, that's just so much more of a believable package, guys. He's got the same haircut. She had in There's Something About Mary when she thought it was hair gel. That's his hair, guys. But I'm totally buying into that. That's why it's on every damn night. It's literally on every night on the History Channel. Every night. I'm buying the guy with the There's Something About Mary hair gel. But I just can't buy that guy with the collar or with the, uh, uh, the southern accent in the pulpit. He just, something seems sketchy. You know why it seems sketchy? Because you don't want to believe it. Because you know, if you do, you will have to be, you will have to confront some things about yourself 
you don't want to have to confront. And the ancient aliens are never going to make you confront those things. They're just going to anally probe you in a trailer park somewhere <laughs> in suburban Arkansas. And Final thoughts, Todd. That's nothing. <laughs> I was just going to That's gonna nothing to what the shadow people will do. To that's exactly so. right. That's exactly right. They will they will anally probe you anywhere, yeah. not just in suburban Arkansas in a trailer park. Exactly. Todd. That was utterly sublime followed by totally frivolous. It was a beautiful combination. I loved it. Because what what you said there about how the guarantee is you will not ever have to look yourself hard in the eye with anything that comes out of that show, which is, you know, why you'll wallow it. Yep. Uh, so, um, I can get some, I can get a fake sense of purpose and meaning and then go on and live my, 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 my purposeless life, never having to be confronted with the, the lack of meaning and significance at the same so time. So with everything we talk about with these seven deadly worldviews, ask yourself that question what in my forget don't just let this be for all the heathens out there what in my own life am i doing along these lines why how am i embracing each one of these things so that i don't have to look truth ultimately that being uh uh god and his son in the eye uh, and and play that game with myself that i get to go on and check my i'm better than you boxes that's what you have to wrestle with and I just about said preach, and then you start to talk about anal probing. So that's why we do the Steve Joyce show here. It's just January 3rd, baby. We're on our way. Where else, Aaron, can you go for high-minded talk about, let's talk theology, philosophy, get out of the nuts and bolts of meaningless knowledge and information, and we end it with an anal probing in a trailer park. No one else in America can pull that off, McIntyre. No, there's, I mean, that's that's why people pay us the big bucks here on CRTV. Though, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's, it is the free version, so there's that. Um, a final word on, on Gnosticism. I think everything in the last hour and 40 minutes almost two hours i think everything for now has been said i would probably echo what todd said as well especially with gnosticism and i think really we can check ourselves before we wreck ourselves with the rest of these worldviews over the next seven days before we start to go start judging uh, others let's remove the plank out of our own eye first and i think uh, as as we've talked about as well with gnosticism it's very very easy to fall into some form of Gnosticism. So let's make sure we're checking ourselves against that. Don't forget promo code DACE to watch the full version of our discussion on the Seven Deadly Worldviews Chapter 1 today here on CRTV. And you won't just get our show, but all of the shows at CRTV. And we have a huge expanded lineup debuting for 2018. Promo code DACE. Learn more about that at CRTV.com. That'll do it. Back at it again tomorrow right here on Westwood One. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 